Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 1 The Official Anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Good morning, Miss Braun. Dayahau, Wellington. Eliza, did you just greet me in... Chinese, yes, the Mandarin dialect. Current lost case here reminded me I should at least try and keep my skills sharp. You speak Chinese? She. I also speak Japanese, several Maori dialects, a few South Pacific... Why does this come as a shock to you, Welly? No reason. Is it because you think I, a demure, fragile wisp of a girl, can't be fluent in other languages like most field agents? I just never thought those would be your languages of choice. Really? So instead of Deutsch, Francais, and Espanol, what would you expect me to be fluent in? Smith, Wesson, Lee, Ensfield... Ah, yes, my own romance languages. Where you always get in the last word. Without fail, Welly. Without fail. Emperor's Hand by J.R. Murdoch Spring, 1889 Agent Reginald Coffey held up his arm to block the oncoming rush of branches. I don't think we're going to make afternoon tea. And how, pray tell, did you come by that mystical deduction? Mei Ying Ling, special liaison agent to the ministry, piloted the walker through the thick growth of trees and shrubs. Her red silk dress had been torn in a most unladylike fashion from all the snags it had suffered. Rather than expose flesh, it instead exposed a black leather body armor and bandolier of daggers across her back. Well, those things keep popping out of the ground for one, he retorted while reloading his pistol. Reginald looked again to the rear of the vehicle, only to see yet another climbing on board. The face, unmoving and quite disturbing, had been sculpted sometime in the distant past. The ruddy reddish color carried over the entire body, of something that should not be moving. This wasn't a person, it was a construct. A construct of ordinary pottery from head to armor to foot. It couldn't possibly be real, but the scimitar it held could not be mistaken as a fake. Reginald raised his gun and fired off two shots. The hollow head exploded. Terracotta shards littered the floor as the rest fell away through the black smoke pouring out the rear of the walker. How many of those things are there? Reginald brushed red powder off his overcoat and placed his bowler back on his head. How do I know? I didn't build them. Well, certainly you must know where they're coming from. Mei Ying kicked Reginald but offered no other response. Pieces of shattered head didn't bounce across the floor as Reginald had expected, but instead jiggled and skittered, and unless he missed his guess, were busy reassembling. In fact, several had started to stick together. He picked up a chunk, put it in his pocket for later inspection, and began flipping the rest out of the vehicle. As he did, another construct appeared and jabbed at him with a spear. He rolled to the right as best he could. The entire vehicle lurched to the right as Mei Ying let go of the controls and kicked the head, and it fell away. Thank you. Thank me by keeping an eye open. We're getting close. Mei Ying pointed to a rapidly flashing light on the crawler's control panel. As if on cue, the crawler emerged from wooded area and onto a large plain. Sitting in the center laid a massive flat-top pyramid. Reginald had seen photographs of the Great Pyramids in Egypt, but he hadn't heard of a pyramid in China. 
Unlike the Egyptian desert pyramids, this one lay in the middle of a field, and much of the surrounding landscape appeared to be farmland. Even the pyramid had been overgrown with vegetation. That didn't make the mounted soldiers in front of them any less imposing. The dull appearance and reddish color didn't fade with the setting sun. If anything, their color looked more like blood, their stolid faces unmoving, their weapons at the ready. Mei Ying stopped the crawler. Why did you stop? We'll be overrun! Reginald fired two random shots into the woods behind them for good measure and then reloaded. The soldiers took up their spears and marched forward, weapons straight out. Why don't we just run them down? They're nothing more than overgrown flower pots. Look! Reginald held up a shard from his pocket. They'll break easily. Flower pots break easily, yes. Flower pots armed with spears walking on their own accord? A different matter altogether. We need to think this one through. It's not going to be as easy as charging up to the first emperor's burial mound. Burial mound? Is that what that huge pyramid is? A burial mound? Mei Ying shook her head and ran her hands over the back of her neck. These soldiers must be protecting his burial mound. The question isn't where did they come from. The question is why now? Why has Qin Shi Hong suddenly decided that he dislikes the British moving goods across his land? Perhaps he tolerated it at first and now is annoyed by it. Perhaps he doesn't feel the current emperor needs weapons and technology from England and wishes to keep your Neanderthal society in the Stone Age. The punch to the gut doubled over Reginald. Perhaps neither of those, he winced. No one has ever entered the tomb. Ever. There are untold riches in there, buried with the emperor 2,000 years ago. There are rumors of gold, riches, weapons, and magical items. I've heard stories about traps and protections, but I never heard anything about an army of terracotta warriors. Reginald straightened up. The mounted pottery men, nearly twenty of them, still approached slowly. If they didn't move soon, they'd be flanked with foot soldiers coming up from behind. What makes you think it's something from inside the burial mound if no one has ever been inside? The first reports came from closer to the temple. Trade routes were modified, but the soldiers appeared wherever a shipment tried to cross this area. Some of the locals said they saw red men coming out of the ground, around the temple, before an attack, and returning after the attack. I came here to investigate and found several acres of land disturbed, but no trace of them. With a twist of a knob and a pull of a lever, the walker scurried sideways. The mounted forces, surprisingly agile for ancient pottery, adjusted their position to keep between the walker and the burial mound. So, how do we get past these ones? Reginald held up his gun and took aim. Not like that. Again, the walker moved sideways. Something crunched underfoot. A foot soldier's hand clung to the side. Reginald picked it up and threw it back into the woods. If the construct wanted to be whole again, it could go in search of its hand. Nothing else appeared to move in the woods. What weapons does this walker have? It's got a flamethrower, the Blooming Lotus. But that's not going to help us against our pottery friends. If anything, it'll make them harder. Say that again? Blooming Lotus? No, no, that part about making them hotter? Well, you bake pottery to make it harder. Obviously, we put fire to them, they'll only become harder, more rigid. The fire will bake the moisture out of them. Reginald smiled. Perfect. How long will this flaming flower last? You're kidding me, aren't you? Most assuredly not. Reginald put his hand on his bowler and pointed his gun at the horseman. Let your candles, my Asian beauty. She glared at him. You're mad. You know that, don't you? Matter not, we've got to figure out what's going on here. Now, let's unleash Beezabal's rash and smash us some flower pots. Mei Ying shook her head while pumping a lever several times and stomping a central foot pedal before continuing their forward movement. At first, only sparks spewed forth before the fuel finally caught. When it did, Reginald expected a gout of flame to spew forth ahead of the vehicle. What happened caught him by surprise. Several smaller jets streamed from all sides, 
and the ring of fire spun, creating a beautiful flaming disc around them. There's your blooming lotus, Ming yelled over the jet's roar as they started forward. The mounted guards charged, spears held up in front of them, ready to stab and kill. Half expecting to dodge a barrage of spears aimed at them, Reginald was pleased when they began stabbing the iron body of the walker. A couple stood inside the flames, and after a couple of moments, Reginald fired at one. The bullet passed straight through. That was a bright idea, Ming quipped. No, really, this will work. Keep going. One of the foot soldiers had dropped a scimitar inside the walker. Reginald picked it up and began fending off spear blows while the mounted warriors, faces eerily staring and unmoving, continued to stab at the walker and occasionally at them. Cracks and pops came from behind and Reginald spun around and fired. The soldier exploded and charged rained to the ground. This time they did not recollect and assemble but instead remained as scattered, shattered pieces on the ground. Following several reloads and more shots, the mounted soldiers lay behind them as a trail of clay shards. Mei Ying turned off the blooming lotus. That took up too much of our fuel. We may end up going home on foot. As long as we can get to the bottom of the trade interruptions, it doesn't matter. A walk on the wilderness will do us some good. Have you thought that perhaps the Emperor doesn't like the British walking over his grave? Mei Ying pushed the walker into high gear. Reginald had thought they were much closer as the burial mound continued to grow before them. I've dealt with this type of thing before, and I'm mostly certain that it's not the Emperor. How big is this thing, anyway? The walker's legs ground to a halt, and its front tipped, nearly sending the two of them down to the ground. After righting themselves, it became apparent what had happened. The legs had gotten mired in the soft ground. You've dealt with this sort of thing before? Ming said, ripping off the last remaining shreds of her dress, exposing her athletically shaped body, clad in black under-armor, with a tightly fitted waist. Well, then, Englishman... What do we do now? Reginald felt his own ill-fitting under-armor and hoped he'd be able to keep his clothes on. Well, we need to locate the entrance. I told you, this tomb has never been opened. Then we'd better get moving and find one. Reginald glanced back and a large number of foot soldiers were storming their way across the open field in the shadow of the man-made mountain. Presently, if you please, pip-pip. And just how do you suppose we do that? Did you see what the walker got stuck in? Just ahead of us. Reginald pointed a few feet in front of the walker, where the ground appeared to be firmer. We'll need to jump for it. With a great push, they left from the walker and landed just on the edge of the burial mound. He stumbled awkwardly and fell to the ground, while his counterpart rolled and sprang to her feet. Quite a nimble minx she was. Reginald wished conditions were different, as the burial mound was truly a majestic sight to behold. Perhaps after this assignment he could return and take a tour of the area. He'd heard tell of a wall the first emperor also began. Are you coming? We'll never figure out who's behind this unless we get moving. Quite right. Mei Ying produced one gun and held a dagger in her opposite hand, and led the way to the pyramid. Not only did Reginald find her a nimble minx, she was efficient in her movement. It must be that diminutive size of hers offering an advantage. When she broke through the vegetation, he found her standing before an entrance that clearly was a recent addition to the burial site. Someone has broken into the Emperor's resting place. This isn't right. No one should set foot in here. Yes, yes, as you said, it's been undisturbed, etc. Reginald checked to make sure his gun had a full load before producing a small cylinder from his own lapel pocket. He pushed its sole button, causing it to double in length. He gave the brass tube a sharp rap against the entrance, causing its end to explode with light. The torch will last us twenty minutes. Let us not dally. At first he was able to walk upright, but after several steps his bowler fell from his head. Mei Ying kicked it forward. He took a moment to pick it up and stooped down even further. He hoped they wouldn't have to crawl as the ceiling kept getting lower and lower. When they finally emerged into an open chamber, he lowered the torch, pushing the button again. 
It instantly went out and returned to its original size. Clever, Mei Ying said, motioning to the device. Science, he replied, slipping it back into his pocket. The single chamber wasn't what he'd expected. The pictures he'd seen of the Great Pyramid were very different. It had cramped chambers and tight passageways. This structure defied explanation. A dome expanding hundreds of feet in every direction harbored within the pyramid a city. A miniature one, but a city nonetheless. Just beyond the city limits, Reginald could see farmland, forests, palaces, moving rivers of shimmering silver. Even the sky in internal darkness showed a night sky complete with moon, stars, and constellations. It appeared the first emperor not only wanted to be buried in China, but to take part of his empire with him. This is incredible, he finally whispered. Mei Ying looked back down the tunnel. No good could come of us being here. This burial mound was sealed, and all those who built it were killed to protect the secrets of what lay inside. No one has ever set foot inside. That's where you're sorely mistaken. Someone has gotten in here before, and we need to extricate that person, or persons. Unless I miss my guess, that army of terracotta warriors is acting on orders from whoever broke in here. Don't you understand the consequences of our presence here? Mei Ying whispered tersely. We'll be put to death in front of Emperor Guangzhou. Do you think the person who has already gained entry into this tomb cares about who will be put to death? This person won't stay contented with molesting the trade between our empires. He's going to reach out once he understands the potential of what is at his fingertips. The ministry commissioned you to be here to assist me. It doesn't matter if you feel good or ill, or if your emperor will put us to death. You and I have a job to do, so do try and blunt your anxiety, he said, holding up his pistol. And let's see who's home. The two made their way along the perimeter of the massive dome, not wanting to disturb anything. Alcove after alcove contained treasures, bronze statues, paintings, tapestries, massive vases, weapons, furniture, and even more terracotta statues. Reginald felt at ease looking at the feminine statues that sprawled out on pillows in front of empty chairs. Reginald raised his arm to point at another empty chair, and bars slammed down, knocking his hand away. "'Keep your hands out of the alcoves, and keep your eyes open,' Ming chided. "'There are rumors of many traps hidden deep inside.' The light from the stars and the moon lit the chamber enough that no torchlight was needed to see through the gate that had nearly taken Reginald. Nothing had been stolen, at least at a glance. In fact, the only thing that appeared to be missing were the people sitting in the chairs to be attended upon by the women. After a long, slow walk, they came upon a path that led to the center of the tomb. Reginald held his finger to his lips and pointed with his gun. The path, barely more than a foot wide, cut like a road through the terrain. They had only taken a few steps forward when Mei Ying nudged Reginald and pointed with her dagger to a footprint near the miniature trees. It looked as if a giant had stepped in for a closer look at the small village near a tiny winding road. She raised her blade, and with it Reginald's eyes. He followed where she pointed. Off in the darkness, much closer to the center of the chamber, sat a massive golden mausoleum with bright white pillars. The dagger motioned to the side of the chamber. There, a man gripping an ornate staff knelt, perhaps in prayer, as he was looking down at something intently. Reginald raised his gun, but Mei Ying stayed his hand. She pointed again this time at the man. The ornate staff the man held was adorned with some odd black mass on the end. The two continued their silent approach across a bridge. The shimmering silver flowed beneath, but it did not look like water. It looked almost like molten metal. A clanging noise in the distance stopped the two in mid-step. The man cocked his head, his attention still trained on something on the ground. Before he stood up and yelled, How dare you interfere! Regardless of where they were, there was no echo. It sounded as if the chamber swallowed the man's broken English. The man turned and strode into the mausoleum. 
A scraping sound, as if stone rubbed against stone, came from where he disappeared. He's shutting himself inside, Ming-Ying said, gingerly stepping around Reginald and sprinting ahead. Hurry! Reginald nearly bumped into her as the thud of the stone slab halted her. She stood at the sealed entrance for a moment and then turned to where the man had been kneeling. Neither of them were prepared for what they found there. A miniature army of terracotta soldiers marched across the open field to the hill where the mausoleum sat upon. There were tiny shards of ones that had been broken, but one thing didn't fit the picture, a miniature replica of the walker. Mayung stopped Reginald from reaching down and picking it up. You don't know what'll happen. Don't disturb anything. We need to get that man out of here and quickly. Do you think he's been here for a while now? It's possible. I think your hunch was correct that he's been the one responsible for your missing shipments. The staff he possesses must allow him to wield powerful magic. Reginald stood and walked to the mausoleum. The ornate design and scrollwork marked it as a door, but he couldn't find any means to open it. How do you suppose? That shouldn't be here. Ming-Ying pointed to a brass wheel. She grabbed the wheel and turned. Reginald reached in to help her, but she shrugged him off. The stone door ground its way open. Inside, darkness tried to push out from the entryway, only to be held back by the dim light of the outer chamber. Reginald tried to go in first, but Mei-Ying pushed him out of the way so she could enter first. He grabbed her arm. If I may, he began, producing his prototorch from his pocket. We still have some light left in this. With the prototorch pushing back the darkness, they entered the mausoleum, descending the stone stairs that wound deeper into the depths of the tomb. Mei-Ying, too busy watching out in front of her, nearly placed her foot on a step that wasn't there. Reginald caught her shoulder and pointed to the missing step. She nodded her thank you and they continued, slower now, avoiding more missing stairs. They reached a landing platform overlooking a larger chamber, the faint sound of a chugging noise coming from deeper within. Reginald wished he'd counted the stairs to know how far down they were. Getting out, not knowing such a detail, could make hasty retreats difficult. Mei-Ying pinched her nose. I smell something burning. But there's no smoke. How is that possible? An explosion nearly rocked them from the platform. Mei-Ying pushed Reginald against the wall. Another blast took the platform out from under them. The two toppled end over end. Reginald lost his breath when Mei-Ying landed on top of him as they hit the stone floor some feet below, the torch bouncing out of his hand. You shall feel the wrath of the first, came the man's warning. Another explosion hit where the platform had been. A shower of rocks rained down on the pair. I think I saw something. Reginald struggled to extricate himself from underneath Mei-Ying. Get up, Englishman. He's on the other side of the room and we've got incoming. Through the dying light of his torch and the dim light of the chamber, Reginald could just make out several shadows coming towards them. Two shots disappeared into one of the shadows. The movement, far more fluid than the clay warriors he had already encountered, showed no signs of slowing. Those aren't terracotta constructs, he said, taking up his prototorch and pocketing it again. No one responded. Mei-Ying had left his side. Metal feet clanged on the ground. Another explosion shook the ground. With nowhere to go, Reginald fired several shots at the shadows before him. A glow appeared behind the shapes, and then a new silhouette formed, of a massive machine with pipes going in every direction. A klaxon blared as a large wheel groaned and turned behind the machine. Mei-Ying! he called out. She had to be close by. I need some assistance! The two of you should have stayed away, the mystery man spat. The elixir of life is mine! Floodlights came up. Reginald, with only heartbeats to act, scurried out of the way of the oncoming beings that appeared as shimmering metal versions of terracotta soldiers. His guns were going to be of no use. See how Quicksilver has given life to my mechanical wonders! The man walked out from behind the massive machine and held his staff high. The black shape on the end, a shriveled human hand, made a fist and opened. 
I hold the power of the first emperor. I control everything you see. A knife flew through the air and struck the man in the shoulder. Guess you didn't see that, now did you? Quipped Mei Ying from the dark. She cartwheeled out of the shadows and kicked the man in the head. She pulled another knife, slashed at his chest. Blood did not flow, but instead liquid silver poured from his cuts. What madness is this? Mei Ying asked. I have taken the mercury into my body, the man said with a cold smile. I am as the first. What he could not accomplish I have done. I have become immortal. The staff came up and caught Mei Ying under the chin and sent her flying backwards. She rolled and landed between the spokes of the large turning wheel. Reginald ran forward, but Quicksilver's soldiers blocked his path. He picked up a chunk of rock and threw it at the nearest. The rock passed straight through, emerging on the other side, covered in mercury. It is no use. Here, nothing can harm me. Inside the tomb of Emperor Kin, I am immortal. I have the power of the first. I am the first. The man held the staff high over his head and laughed. Reginald shuffled to his left, taking only a few steps up the rubble of the platform. As he'd hoped, the soldiers lumbered in his direction. While the Quicksilvers moved more fluidly than the Terracottas, they were sluggish. He gave the soldiers a few more steps before he launched himself off the rubble. He ran towards Mei Ying, but stopped when he saw the spoke of the wheel crushing her bent body. She wasn't moving. The gears moaned under the strain. The first turned towards his machine. No! The lifeblood of my machine must not stop! A puff of smoke came from one pipe before it burst. The floodlights flickered for a moment. Reginald went to lower himself to Mei Ying until something jabbed his shoulder, hard, knocking him free from where he stood. Pulling himself up, he watched the large wheel slowly start to move backwards. The first was struggling to remove Mei Ying from the machinery. Reginald looked back to the Quicksilver soldiers who remained frozen, and then back to the first. Of course, he whispered. Reginald scrambled to the other side of the wheel. Once the first raised it up again, he slipped under and dragged Mei Ying's crushed body free. The wheel came down again with a hard clang and the first appeared to catch a new life, even with the dagger in his shoulder and the gash across his chest. Now you shall feel my wrath. The next spoke was coming, but Reginald reached through it anyway. The moment his fingertips brushed fabric, he grabbed and yanked, pulling the first forward. The spoke caught the madman in his chest wound and dragged him for a moment. When the wheel jammed again, the first cried out in pain. Then, on catching his breath, he tried to push the wheel back, groaning. I am invincible! You cannot defeat me! I am the first! The spoke came down again and forced the first to the floor. You cannot kill me! He grunted, Quicksilver seeping from between his lips. Reginald tore his eyes away from the first and saw the staff he had been coveting outside the tomb and before Mei Ying. He crawled over to the staff, took it up, and screamed. The sights of a thousand pairs of eyes came into his head, overwhelming him for a moment. In that moment, he saw the terracotta soldiers stop. Something told him they were waiting for instructions. Pick up any fallen comrades, he thought, conjuring his desires at Dougie arrow types, and return to the ground from where they had risen. You cannot stop me! The first winced, his quicksilver blood splattering on the wheel, pinning him. I am the first. I will prevail. In no time I will have hundreds of metal soldiers at my command to take over the world. Draping Ming's body over his shoulder and gripping the staff in his free hand, Reginald struggled for the exit, using the staff to tap his way up the broken stairs. As they closed the mausoleum door, he could still hear the man's curses. And then a gurgle, 
followed by one more feeble utterance. Help! If he had learned anything from his short time with Mei Ying, it was that this tomb was a bad place to be. Most likely the government would be afraid to go inside, and once again it would be sealed. Reginald returned to the fresh air of the outdoors, sat upon the damp evening grass, and produced the now dented, nearly spent proto-torch. He looked at it for a moment, held it over his head, and pushed the button twice in succession. The torch flickered to life, then exploded, sending a small white sphere of red smoke and light into the darkness above him. He turned to his partner. Forgive me, was all he could manage. With the staff of Kin and the broken body of Mei Ying both in his possession, he waited. Reginald circled the spoon around the teacup. The oolong tea had long since gone cold next to the half-eaten scone, the scraping noise almost too reminiscent of that day. Wellington Books, the new archivist, sat across the table, his chin resting on interlocked fingers. I know what was in your report, Book said, looking up from his notepad. But it wasn't this detailed. What it must have been like to step inside the Emperor's tomb. The idols, the gold, the finery, none of that matters. The Chinese government will deal with it as they will. Books tilted his head to the side for a moment and narrowed his eyes. And withholding details of the staff of Kin? For the first time since they'd sat down, Reginald smiled. I should have come forward before now. I know that. I felt that if I held on to one little piece, then losing a partner, even one I knew so little about, wouldn't hurt quite so badly. You understand, right? Books went answered but stayed his words. Well, I had hoped you would. Reginald stood, picked up his bowler, and paused. He reached into his pocket and placed the object on the table before the archivist. Books recognized it straight away as a terracotta pottery shard. One more item for the case archive. Again, I'm sorry I didn't come forward sooner. He watched Books sitting there staring at the piece on the table. A bit of an odd duck, this archivist. He watched as Books' hands went up to scoop up the shard when it hopped away from his grasp. Books drew his hand back and looked up at him. It does that, Reginald said with a wry grin, from time to time. Reginald put his bowler on his head and exited ye old Cheshire Shees. J.R. Murdoch is an avid reader of almost anything he can get his hands on. That being said, he also writes with near-reckless abandon in any and every genre. His style is intended for pure entertainment. Over the years, he's written nine novels and over 100 short stories. Only a few short stories have seen print, in actual print and on the web, so he's decided to throw his hat into the podcasting arena with his novels v Shipping and Billy Barbarian. His Murdochian Tales is a podcast collection of short stories. All of these titles are available at jrmurdoch.com. When not writing like a madman, J.R. Murdoch does have a day job as a computer programmer and loves to spend time with his lovely wife and beautiful daughter. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of The Janus Affair, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favorite bookstore or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, the iBook Store, or the Science Fiction Book Club. 
This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.